The following presentation was recorded at a Christian Light Education workshop. More information at clp.org. So this is planning devotionals. My first question for you today is, why do you have devotions? Why do you have devotions? Why do you do this? It's not on any achievement test. It's not a state requirement. Why do you do this? You have three lines there. Commit something to paper. What do you have down? Uh, Why do you? Christian day school. That is the idea of being Christian. Okay. Okay. Arena, what do you have down? Learning about God is the most important. Okay. You want to teach oh. about God. Okay. Somebody else. To be spiritually fed. Be fed spiritually. Jonathan. I think it helps to teach the concept of starting the day with God. Start your day out right. <clears throat> All these are good reasons. I'm glad nobody said because the board said we had to. Or because we've always done it this way. I'm glad you have better reasons than that. All these are good reasons. So don't, don't hear me saying that your reasons have to be my reasons. Okay? Wh whatever your reasons are, that's going to impact, that's going to affect the way devotions looks in your classroom. Okay? So, whatever those reasons are. I have put down five reasons. Now, at the beginning here, I need to tell you, I look at this from a high school angle. And so, if you're teaching first and second grade, it's going to look different in your classroom. It's going to look different. Here's five of my reasons. Number one, focus our thoughts on God. Some of you mentioned this, often comes out. Number two, learn his word. Simply learn the mechanics of scripture. I know very little about the Book of Mormon, because I've never studied it. Simply learn the word. Does your third grader know the difference between the Book of Job and the Book of Jonah? Between James and John? Between Jeremiah and Joel? I hope your 8th grader isn't using the index of his Bible ever for any reason. Now, if you want to make them memorize the books of the New Testament in order, go ahead, be my guest. But I hope they have some vague concept of where to find the book of Second Peter, and they're not rummaging around in the Gospels. Well, he's one of the disciples. It has to be in here between Luke and Matthew somewhere. Okay? Simply the mechanics of Scripture. What's the longest book of the Bible? What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Hint, it's not Psalm 119. Because those are psalms and not chapters. I don't know what it is. You know, what's the general picture covered in the book of Acts? You know, just general Bible knowledge mechanics. How are the Pauline epistles arranged? How are Paul's letters arranged in the scripture? It's an order of length. Romans and Corinthians are the long ones. Titus and Philemon are the short ones. Just, just mechanics of scripture. Learn his word. C, learn his heart. What doth the Lord require of thee? What does this God think is important after all? Learn the heart of God. D, make God more real to my students. When our students come into first grade, they're just happy to please a teacher. First graders are, are so soft and sweet and tender. They're just happy to please. Along the time they graduate, we hope they've internalized this belief. That they've decided, yes, this is personal and it's real. That this is something I can put my faith in. In the middle, they go through a period of questioning. 
Is this real? Is it trustworthy? Or is this just a weird idea that Pop has? They go through that period of questioning. Devotions is one more place we can answer those questions. Make God real to my students. Yes, this is reality. And E, probably my favorite, illustrate his fingerprints in the world around us. When your students look out your window today, do they see grass sprouting? Or do they see the miracle of reproduction in plants? When we see a dead maple leaf, do we see a dead maple leaf? Or do we see the nitrogen cycle? And God's plan for new growth next spring. And that abscission layer has to grow across that stem. And that leaf falls off and dies. And fertilizes the earth in the process. So three mechanics of devotions. Again, this is an exhaustive. You're going to have to apply it to your classroom individually. <clears throat> sing good music. Now notice I didn't say sing music. Sing good music. Sing quality music. Sing music that stretches them. There's a fundamental difference between hymns and gospel songs. Hymns have very little repetition. The words talk to or about God. They're God-focused. If you want to think uh, in the line of authors, think Isaac Watts. Seldom do they have refrains or choruses. Not much repetition. A lot of words. A mighty fortress is our God. Before Jehovah's awful throne. Above the trembling elements, so lift me up to thee. Songs to and about God. Gospel songs have much more repetition. They're more light. They're experience-oriented. They're about me. Years I spent in vanity and pride. I was in sin's prison, oh so dark and cold. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. These are songs about our experience here on earth. If you want to thank authors, thank Fanny Crosby. Now, I'm not saying gospel songs are wrong. They're just of lighter content than hymns. Think the difference between hot dogs and steak. Okay, we don't eat steak every meal. Sometimes we, we eat hot dogs. But just know the difference. Be aware of this and teach these things to your students. A mighty fortress is our God has something like 42 or 46 biblical truths. Compare that to we are climbing Jacob's ladder. There's just a fundamental difference in the amount of spiritual truth being communicated here. B, variety is the spice of life. I aimed for about a 90 or 95% predictability rate in my classroom. That, yeah, I think I know what Brother Hoover's going to do. I think. Never quite willing to bet the farm. Never, never willing to say I'm 100% sure. Be predictably unpredictable. Keep things fresh. Keep things new and exciting. Now, don't, I'm not advocating chaos where we have no idea from one day to the next. Be predictably unpredictable. See, not lengthy or belabored. I don't know that we're up for a three-hour sermon on transubstantiation. I hope your students have heard the word at some point. But we know and understand they can only absorb so much in math class. And it's time to take a break. Devotions is much the same. We only absorb about so much. And four, try not to be preachy. Again, I'm not disparaging good preaching. I love good preaching. But I found in my classroom, when I got preachy, it's when I was trying to correct a discipline problem in devotions. And I found it didn't work. Go to the student directly, address the problem head on, but don't preach at the 17 innocent for the one guilty. Just a personal testimony. And again, if, if preaching works in your devotions, blessings to you. May your tribe increase. But I found it didn't work. So ideas for school devotions. I'd like to do one thing here briefly.
your attention. That's doodling on a whiteboard. But you sat there in rapt attention and watched me doodle. Draw your students' attention. Whatever you're going to do in your classroom for devotions, draw your students' attention. Because if you don't have their attention, I hope you're having fun because you're not accomplishing much. Now again, I'm not advocating you know, fireworks every Monday. Oh, but once or twice a decade we could you know, involve fire. Draw your students' attention. Whatever has their attention, use that and draw them to the word. So let's go for some, through some of these ideas. Number one, we could do a book study. Study the book of Ruth, for example. Some people say, well, the book of Ruth is kind of thin, not a whole lot of meat. You see the heart of God in the book of Ruth. Don't glean the corners. Save that for the widow and the orphan and the stranger in your land. I hope you're not copying this doodling. Mm -hmm. This is just doodling. I mean, you, you start with a tree and just add random geometric shapes and some hashtags and, and throw your name in at some point in a tic-tac-toe. I mean, you can do anything. You can do absolutely anything. Just draw their attention. But I mean, you guys sat there and watched me do the whole thing. Your mind's just furious what's coming next. I've seen adult Sunday school teachers carry an empty paper bag. Because when somebody walks into church with an empty paper bag, when the teacher walks up with a paper bag, you want to know what's inside it. He has your attention. And it's nothing but an empty paper bag, but I got your attention. Get your students' attention. Okay. You see the heart of God in the book of Ruth. Don't glean the corners. Let that for the stranger in your land. For the widow and the orphan and the poor. You see the heartbeat of God for the underdog. Now if you're into politics more than you should be, you, you might notice this. That's not a Republican idea. Republicans don't like that idea very much. But that's what God says. Take care of the underdog. We'll let that go. That's a sidebar. <clears throat> Number two, character study. We study characters in Scripture. How many of your students know who Barzillai is? How many of their teachers know who Barzillai is? Old Testament history. David is running out of Jerusalem. Absalom's on the throne. This is not a pretty picture in Israel. Not a pretty picture in the life of David. Shimei's throwing stones, cursing him. And David's like, why is this dead dog cursing my lord, the king? Give me the word and I'll go take off his head. David said, ah, let him curse. Maybe God can bring some good out of it. Oh, why can't I have that perspective when my authority is challenged? Why can't I have that perspective when, when people are throwing rocks at me? Let him go. Maybe God can bring some good out of it. That's a sidebar. So David and his men are out in the wilderness. We don't know that there's three or four. It could have been a hundred. I don't know. But Barzillai and his friends, it seems like Barzillai was the ringleader, show up with a smorgasbord of food. It says they brought bread and meat and cheese and milk. This whole spread for David and his men, he fed them. Great personal cost. We have no record that he called the deacon and asked to tap the alms fund. He just did it. He just went and bought and did. Furthermore, great political cost. Think about this with me. If Absalom is on the throne, are you going to be earning any brownie points with Absalom if he finds out you're taking care of his ousted dad? Not so much. Great personal cost, great political cost. We need Barzillais in our people who just see needs and meet them. They don't ask permission, they don't ask for payment, they just do. Number three, we could do word studies. You could study common words like all. 
The Great Commission has it four times, all power, all the world, all things, all way. Psalm 190, I'm sorry, Psalm 103, the last verse. Praise ye all his works in all places of his dominion. Find the place of the word all is used in scripture. We can use uncommon words like profane. We think profane means foul language. It doesn't mean that at all. It's a value word. It's an accounting, reckoning word. Don't be a profane person as Esau who sold his birthright too cheap. It's a flippant, casual, disrespectful, irreverent. It's not valuing properly. Go to Psalms. When you read the Psalms and you see the word hagion, what does that mean? Well, Selah is a short pause. Hagion is a long pause. It means meditation. Think about it. Sit and chew on this a while. It's like bean soup. Let it simmer a while. Hagion. Go to the go to the, the, the uncommon, the rare words of Scripture. Do our students know what these things mean? Number four, we can do theme studies. Can we talk about hospitality? Now, this spring, I was in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river here from Portland. And my brother-in-law got married. Married a girl from Moldova. And, obviously, I don't speak that language. Anyway, at their wedding, the wedding was in English. The reception was a variety of languages. But at the reception, the father of the bride stood up and spoke. I didn't understand what he's saying. This man understands very little English. And the MC, the Master of Ceremonies, just stood up from his seat, came over to the family table, knelt down beside us, and simultaneously translated. And the meal went on. Now, when you hang out with the Russian Baptist Church in Vancouver, you've got to be prepared to eat slow. This is a long, drawn-out process. You'll be fed very well, but it takes a while. And so, sometime later, somebody else stood up and spoke. And the bride's sister hops up from the bridal table comes over and kneels down right between my wife and I and just translates for our family. Now, nowhere on the program did it list translators for the poor Mennonites who don't speak our language. Nobody told them to translate for us. They just saw the need and filled it. That's the definition of hospitality. When we meet the needs around us, when we care enough to meet the needs of others. God commands hospitality time and time again in Scripture. Do we care enough to see needs and just meet them? Don't ask, just do. Can we talk about vices? That's a virtue we could talk about. Could we talk about vices? My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in a mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I've convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit. But don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know it. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. And somebody asked me, how do you take that poem? I mean, that says a lot about pride. How do you do that in one devotional? I said, I didn't say this was one. A minister in our church made ten sermons on pride. 
unapproachable pride, arrogant pride, know-it-all pride, self-protective pride. But can we talk to our students about pride in the insidious little ways it sneaks in and chisels away at us? Can we talk to them about sacrifice? Make me thy fuel flame of God by Amy Carmichael. Can we read them good poetry, good stories, and, and just call them to, to this level of dedication? Are you okay being burned up on the altar of God? Is that okay? Is that good enough for you? D, prayers in the Bible. All we know about the Pharisee and the publican is what they prayed. That's what we know about them. You can tell a lot about people by the way they pray. Asa, O Lord our God, we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go. Or is it Visa and Verizon that we trust? Can we go through the Bible and just pick out prayers and say, what did these people say? What were they really saying in this prayer? E, can we talk about the, just the unfathomable magnitude of our God? He meets the waters in His hand. Now, I measure popcorn in my hand. When I make popcorn, it's two scoops in my hand. I measure popcorn in my hand. God measures the Pacific in His hand. My span from finger to, finger to thumb is nine and a half inches. That's the Milky Way to God. How big is this God? The New Testament says He's going to explain Himself to us throughout the ages of eternity. How long is eternity? How much explaining does God have to do? How big is God? Types and shadows. Can we talk about types and shadows and devotions? Joseph is a fantastic type of Christ. Think about this with me. He was hated by his brothers, sold, enslaved, falsely accused, spent time in prison, gloriously raised from prison, and only then could he save his family from starvation. Fast forward to Christ. He was hated by his brothers, sold and enslaved, falsely accused, spent time in prison of death, was gloriously raised from that prison, and only then was he able to save you and I, his family, from eternal damnation. Beautiful type of Christ. All through the Old Testament, God has these little arrows. He's coming. He's coming. Messiah is coming. Don't miss him. He's coming. David, another type of Christ. The book I have listed here, Seeing Christ in the Tabernacle. It's available from Vision Publishers in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's set up in 13 lessons, I believe. Bible schools use it for Bible school class. You could get many weeks of devotions out of this. I've seen churches use it for like Wednesday evening Bible study. We're going to skip number five, Object Lessons. We'll come back to that. I'd like to talk about a couple of books here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek. He's a professor at the University of North Carolina. Full disclosure, you will sniff the occasional hint of Calvinism in this book. But simply goes through evidence for creation. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That the world around us does not point to that origin. Vinegar Boy is an allegory. If you like allegories, there's Pilgrim's Progress, books like that. Change of Allegiance is out here on the table. It's the story of Dean and Tanya Taylor and their their journey from the U.S. military in Germany to a Hutterite colony in Minnesota. They read the Sermon on the Mount one night, and Dean said, What if he meant it? I think he meant it. And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you come to the conclusion that I think he meant it, that's going to change your life. It's going to dictate what you do in your life.
Report for Duty, another book on the table out here by Lily Bear. Story of a man who refused to put on the Army uniform, and he paid with his life. He was abused and mistreated to the point he died in the Army camp. Awaiting the Dawn, the story of John Troyer's murder in Guatemala. All these books that tell the stories of people who have followed Christ, who have said, this, this God is worth following at any cost, and I don't care the price. It does not matter. And can we call our students, is this good enough for you? It was good enough for them. Is it good enough for you? And maybe we need to read books of, of people that have failed. And these, this is the choices they were faced with, and this is what they did, and this is what Scripture says about them, and this was their outcome. Number seven, a weekly plan. And again, I just threw down some ideas here. There's 36 weeks of school, give or take. If you could take each of these and come up with 36 for each of them, you have your year's devotions planned out. Monday, let's talk about an attribute of God, His holiness, His justice, His love, His eternity, His omniscience, His omnipresence. Tuesday, let's talk about a commandment of God. Go any place in Scripture and find out where God told someone to do something. Abraham, start journeying, and I'll tell you when you get there. Abraham, take Isaac and go up Mount Moriah. Noah, build a boat. Jonah, I need a preacher. Moses, talk to the rock. All these places where God told someone to do something, and look at what they, look at what they did about it, and the outcome of that. Commandment of God. Wednesday, can we do a character study? Can we talk about Barzillai and Asa and Phineas? Remember that uh, warrior where Israel was camped with Moab and they started committing whoredom with Moab and the plague killed 24,000 in a day, I think. And Phineas exacted revenge on someone that was sinning right in the camp. God said, he's as zealous for my name as I am. What sort of a Nobel Prize is that? He was as zealous for my name as I am. And because of that, Phineas is going to have an everlasting priesthood. Tremendous honor for someone who took God seriously. Character study on Wednesday. Thursday, names of Christ. The back page of your handout is just 96 names of Christ. I went online and I found a list quickly of 200 names. I just pared this down to 96 so it fits nicely on a page. 96 names of Christ. What does it mean when Christ is the Alpha and Omega? What does that mean? Is that just the name of a publishing company at one point? Or what does it mean that he's the Prince of Peace? Why isn't he the King of Peace? Why is it the Prince of Peace? I don't raise sheep. What does it mean when Christ is the shepherd? Can we go through the names of Christ? And Friday, probably my favorite current events. Can we look at whatever is happening in your community? A couple weeks ago, my church had communion. And we are part of the group that does this weird thing called feet washing. Do you realize if somebody had never seen this before, come into your church and watch this happen, what would they think? Guess what? You have students who need to know what to think. Why do we do these things? What, I mean, ordinances of the church... Perhaps there's been you know, sickness and anointing in your community recently. What does this mean? Why do we do this? Perhaps that's been a local event. Again, Jeff and Carolyn's accident, the loss of their children nine years ago. I guarantee you school students were shaken by that. Can we take them to the scripture and say we're going to interpret this event in the light of God's word?
Because all our students are going to develop a worldview. They're going to interpret events somehow. They can interpret them in the light of the Portland Oregonian, your local newspaper, National Public Radio, Fox News, BBC. They're going to interpret them in the light of something. Someone, somewhere, is going to inform how they interpret what they see around them. Or their worldview can be interpreted, can be informed by the Bible. The book can inform them how to interpret the world around them. Nickel Mine school shooting. The entire world stood up and took notice of Amish and their forgiveness. We talk about it with our students. Natural disasters, politics, Supreme Court rulings, holidays. Why don't we participate in Halloween, by the way? Ethics, you name it, whatever has their attention currently. Whatever's going on in your community, whatever's being talked about at lunch, can we take them to the Bible and say, this is how the two-kingdom Anabaptist views and interprets this event. Of the tribe who read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and say, I think he meant it. This is how that interprets that event. Number eight, Student Devotions Committee. Let them do some of the work. Again, age appropriate here. But where do our young men learn to lead singing? Where do our young men learn how to pray in public? Public prayer is a little bit of an art. Because you can be asked to pray in public and... I have no idea what's going on. You could be having a stroke for all we know. I can't hear a thing. Or you can lift your voice and pray so that you can be heard and understood. Your choice. How do our young men learn to pray? How do we learn to have a devotional? How do we learn to stand up and look at a crowd in the eye and speak? School's a great training for this. Now some people say, oh, school students are pretty hard on each other. They're, ouch, they can be pretty brutal. I found they're not that hard when they know their turn is next week. If my turn is coming, that does a lot to soften my judgment for your mistakes. So let them have at it. And the other thing is you need to have the dads in your church come in for school devotions too. You can do that one day a week. So This is just an idea of weekly plan. Now, back to number five, object lessons. I'm prepared to discuss, explain, or show you any of these. So which ones on this list caught your attention that you just have to hear about? Chainsaw. And again, draw their attention. Whatever is in your community. Now, if you're in a community that has never seen a chainsaw, this is going to be really flat to them. But I brought in my grandpa's steel chainsaw. You're in a logging area. Get the biggest, dirtiest, loudest chainsaw you can find. And I brought it into the oceans. And I fired it up in the gym. They didn't like the smell very much. And I revved the thing up and wrapped it out, and I came within very close to cutting a table in half. I really wanted to, and I wish I had. But I decided not to. It was a split-second decision. How hard is this going to be to replace? How much trouble am I going to be in? For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, dividing. A sharp chainsaw goes through wood like butter. It's a thing of beauty. A dull chainsaw? I'm convinced you'd bob be ahead with a handsaw. How sharp is the chainsaw in your life? Do we let it cut and pierce and divide? Or do I keep my Bible dull so it doesn't? 
What else? How about dirty socks? Dirty socks. <clears throat> now this is, this is from the section where they chose the object. I made my students the offer, you choose the object, I'll make up the lesson. And everybody instantly wants to know how long. You, know, you see, within like the same day, oh, no, 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 no. Never commit yourself to a time frame because they're going to make you work. So I never, I made no time frame commitments. But on the appointed day, I had told them ahead of time, bring a dirty pair of dirty socks from home. And they show up carrying these things in bags. And they're very uncomfortable. I said, take out your dirty socks. And I brought a pair too. You're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be willing to do it yourself. Because if it grosses them out, you better be willing to gross you out too. It says, stick your hand in your dirty sock. <laughs> I'm serious, do it. So they did it with incredible trepidation and fear and trembling. I said, now play with it. Sort of caress it and run it through your hands. Play with it. Feel its you know, crustiness from yesterday. And the looks on their faces were almost as good as looks on your faces. What is he doing? I said, play with it some more. Smell it. Sniff it. You know, oh, think about yesterday and all this dirty sock represents. And oh, how crusty and smelly it is. Oh, you're building tension. Okay? Once you have them good and tense, like I have you right about now, <laughs> you say, isn't that what you're doing when you refuse to forgive? I'm playing in yesterday's socks. I'm, I'm just savoring the stench of yesterday's socks. Throw the socks in the washer. Forgive. We walk around with this, oh, we savor the pain of what he said. Oh, Jonathan called me that. And we savor the pain and we tell other people about it. And they think you're a little weird. See, the word forgiveness literally means take out the garbage. And if Jonathan here comes to my place and he brings a five-gallon pail of rotten, stinking, horrendous garbage. We're talking this thing has tomatoes in it, um, some chicken scraps that have sat in the sun for a day or two. They smell pretty good. Uh, sweet corn cobs have a rich odor to them. Muskmelon. I mean, this thing's just maggot-infested, crawling, stinking pile of garbage. And he dumps it in the middle of my living room. He leaves, goes home. Oh, how dare he? Oh, I'm never going to forgive. Jonathan did that, and he can just waltz himself back here and clean it up. In the meantime, it's soaking into the carpet. Before long, it's dripping down into the basement, and the ceiling tiles are dripping and stinking. Now the basement carpet is soggy and disgusting, and I sit in my living room, and I poke at my pile of garbage. And I say, oh, that Jonathan Berkey, oh, he can just waltz himself back here and clean this up. I am never going to do it. Never. And suddenly my wife won't come sit on the couch with me anymore. Liesl won't come play with me anymore because I'm way too engrossed picking around in my bits of garbage in the living room. The answer is throw out the garbage. Get the carpets cleaned or replace them if you have to. Take care of it because Jonathan went home. He might not even know he hurt me. I can't control him. I can only control me. And see, that pile of garbage isn't not infecting him. It's just affecting me. And it's driving those people around me away. My church people don't want to come visit me. They won't come eat popcorn with me anymore. Because I'm so engrossed in my stinking pile of garbage. I'm having so much fun picking through my garbage. And students, it's exactly what we do when we refuse to forgive. We're so engrossed in our pile of garbage 
When we refuse to forgive, we're so engrossed in our pile of garbage, we drive other people away, we drive our families away, we split up churches, because I'm too bitter to forgive. The answer is take out the garbage. The answer is to forgive. Throw yesterday's socks in the wash machine where they belong. What else? Can of Pepsi. Again, you're going to have to do something that gets your students' attention. Whatever's, you know, maybe Pepsi means nothing to them. Maybe it's Mountain Dew, maybe it's Coke, whatever. Whatever gets their attention. Because this whole thing works just as well with milk. But milk is boring, it doesn't have the value of Pepsi. And you have to understand, I was, part of this was done, one of my co-teachers comes from a very health-minded family. Her dad actually told me he'd rather see me drink a shot of whiskey a day than a Pepsi a day. He said, because there are some benefits to the shot of whiskey a day. So this is, again, you're going for a little bit of shock value here. When you say we're going to have devotions on a can of Pepsi, you're drawing their attention. They want to know where this is going. Okay, so you call up one of the boys who you know likes Pepsi. Say, here, has this done you any good? Well, no. Well, crack it open. Has it done you any good? No. Well, take a little sip and you'll just savor the flavor on your tongue. Has it done you any good? No. Well, when's it going to do you some good? Well, when I digest it. As well, technically, no, you have to metabolize it. You have to burn the sugar in your cells for fuel before it does you any good. Similarly, I have a Bible here. On the shelf, it doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do me any good when I even flip through it or leaf through it or look at it or read it or even memorize it. It hasn't done me any good until I metabolize it, until I live it, until it becomes fuel for my daily life. Up till then, it just looks nice. It tastes nice, but it hasn't done me any good. Time for one more. What do you want? Paper airplane. Paper airplane. Again, this is going to work better if your classroom is all into paper airplanes. If your students have never you know, thrown a paper airplane, well, it's kind of flat. But if they're into paper airplanes, grab whatever they're into. Take their attention, whatever they're talking about, whatever they're into currently, and make a lesson out of it. Paper airplane is you take a piece of paper and you fold it up. You can do this in front of class. Fold it up and you fold the wings and you tweak this and you bend that and you add a little sticky tack to the nose to give it some weight. And you wind up and you've got your target and you throw it. And the moment you let go of it, it's gone. All your tweaking and folding and bending and waiting, all that has led up to the moment you release. And when you release that thing, it's gone and completely out of your control. And it might veer off to the left, it might veer to the right, it may go up, it may go down. It may... All of that is controlled by what you did beforehand. Once you let it go, it's out of your control. I can choose my words. See, I can talk about nosebleeds and heart attacks, or I can talk about epistaxis and myocardial infarctions. See, I can pick my words. But once I let that word go, it's gone. It's out of my control. And it might hit my target, might veer off and hit something else. It's out of my control. Pay attention to how you fold your airplane. Pay attention to how you pick your words. Because once you let it go, it's gone. Any other? Pardon? This is one our bishop did in church one Sunday morning. He pulled out a hunk of railroad track, the rail, by Ye Long, laid it up on top of the corner of the pulpit. He told the story that his father was a farmer renting ground. And he, he picked this thing up in, uh, in the fence row 
took it home with him. And years later, he became convicted that that was stealing, that that wasn't his track, it wasn't his land, it wasn't his fence row to take stuff from. And he wrote the guy a letter, sent him a check. And he got a letter in return with his check cut up into pieces. Two lessons, honesty and forgiveness. Can we be honest in the little things? And when someone asks us for forgiveness, can we forgive? Thank you for your attention. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.